If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. In line at a way station, my butt has gone completely numb and my lower back is killing me. Scientists can't seem to agree on how fatal sitting down for long periods is, except in the general sense that everything eventually is fatal. But sitting sure is uncomfortable, especially for me. I don't like to sit down even for a little while if I can avoid it. Something to do with my knees, a doctor once told me. They're set a little to the side. She took one look at my knees and said, You don't like to sit down, do you? Like palm reading, but knee reading. Me, I'll just sit here, uncomfortable and guilty, about what happened in Victorville, about what I have to do next. Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 1, Chapter 8, The Other Town. I parked my truck outside of town. I bought a very cheap used car from an ad online. This barely runs, the man said, as I picked up the car from his driveway. Won't last a year. Who's thinking that far ahead, I said, and I drove off. I wasn't sure where to start. Victorville is small, but not that small. A slice of suburb too far from the city to be a suburb. Strip malls and industry and agriculture and the great desert close around it, making every apartment complex and shopping center seem no more permanent than the wisps of grass along the road. Spent a few days going to local businesses, eating pizza, get my nails done, buying shoes at Kmart, and everywhere trying to make idle conversation, gently poking my way through to anything strange that maybe people noticed, or maybe that they forced themselves not to notice. But everything was normal, relentlessly so. Until this Burger King, where, in what turned into a fairly involved conversation with the guy at the counter about a comic series we are both into, he mentioned something about the other town. What other town? I asked. Huh? He said. No, no, no other town. Or, or like, um, like Apple Valley, I guess. It's right there, you know, the other town, so. He wouldn't let me steer the conversation away from the comics and soon said he had to get back to work. Wouldn't talk to me again. Only nodded vaguely when I said goodbye. I circled back to places I had already been, and I started bringing up the phrase, the other town, 
never as a direct question, just set into conversation for the person to react to or not. The woman at the nail salon winced. I don't want to talk about it, she said. They leave us alone. You leave it alone. What's weird, Alice, is that for all your traveling, you and I only ever took one road trip together. I liked being home. It was the only place I felt safe. But that's why we went. There was that summer where I got so anxious it was hard for me to function. Sometimes it felt like I couldn't breathe the air everyone else was breathing. That oxygen had stopped working only for me. You found me sitting on the shower floor, not having done anything but let the water wash over me for 20 minutes, and you said, First off, there is a drought, and second, let's go on a trip. <sighs> I didn't want to. You said, I always travel, but I never get to travel with you. Let's just drive somewhere. No pressure. Throw some clothes in a bag. Throw the bag in a car. And then all you have to do is sit. And I nodded. Okay. Okay, let's go on a road trip. All I have to do is sit. It should be easy to remember what year this was, but it isn't. The one with the drought. There were a lot of droughts, though. Not like this one, obviously. This one is set to empty us. This one's the end. The woman at the bike shop got angry. Don't even say that in here. You don't say those words in my store. You will bring him in. Who? I said. Get out, she said. The guy at the party store just shuddered. Jeez, dude, he said. You can't just talk about the other town. Why not? I asked. Because when you talk about the other town, there's a tendency for him to... Oh, shit, he said. What? I said. You need to hide right now, he said. Where I am in my life, if I'm told that I need to hide, I hide. I crouched behind a wire bin of cheap inflatable balls. The door chime rang. Hey, Mike, said a voice that was not a voice I knew, but had a familiar tone. Like the accidental hollowing of the wind. Oh, hey, man, so... Mike said, Son, no need to be worried like that. Just heard that someone might be asking around about the other town. Oh? said Mike. Yeah. Seen anyone like that? Uh, not that I remember. Don't you think you'd remember if they mentioned the other town, son? Isn't that the kind of thing that would stick out in your memory? I shifted slightly so I could see around the edge of the bin. The man was wearing a dirty polo shirt. His fingernails were yellow, just below the surface. His skin stretched oddly over his face. I had never seen this man before. It wasn't the thistle man, but it was another man like him. There was more than one. Uh, no, Mike said. You're right. No, no, definitely no one asked about that. The other thistle man stared at Mike for a while. I wondered if I was watching the last few seconds of his life slip away from all of us. But instead, the other thistle man turned around without speaking, and he walked out of the store. 
I waited a full minute and then I came out. Thank you, I said. Yeah, screw you, said Mike. Just get out of here. I did get out of there. The other thistle man was making his way toward the Vons nearby. I walked after him. I was terrible at being on a road trip. You loved it. It calmed you. The long miles, the endless hours, they were normal to you. But I wasn't used to them. Every minute seemed to stretch on so long, and the scenery was all repetition and blank. I had to stop and pee every hour or so. That annoyed you, I could tell, but you wouldn't say. You were happy, because what had happened that I hadn't noticed is that I was bored. And bored was a big step up from dysfunctionally terrified. But the second night, we stayed at this hotel. It wasn't a chain. Every room was themed. There was the sea captain's room and the forest room. We stayed in the wildlife room. There was a lamp shaped like a wolf's head. I had just discovered, to my joy, that one of the four channels on the TV was PBS when you got a call. Your conversation was casual. Sure, sure. And then you hung up. And like it was a separate thought, you suggested that you might drive down to the supermarket, get us a few things for dinner. Do you want to come? You asked. But I had had enough of sitting in a car, and this old house was on, so I told you that, nah, I'd stay. Thanks, honey. And then you were gone for a long time. A very long time. Two hours, maybe? The fear returned. I stared at the curtained window of the motel room, waiting to go outside to get help to do anything, but I could only wait and wait and wait for you to come back. I need to sleep, I think. Sometimes I'm not sure of my own body. Yes, I need sleep, but I don't know if I'll be able to. Not with what I saw bouncing around in my head. Still, worth a shot. I'm pulling into a rest stop. I'm not actually sure if I'm legally allowed to sleep here, but I'm too tired to care. I'm pulling my truck in as far out of the way as I can, on the back edge of the rest stop. And I will crawl into the back and try to sleep. Inside the Vons, lights blared and the music murmured, an easy-listening strings version of Masters of War. No sign of the other thistle man. What did it mean that there was another one? The one I knew had seemed a nearly unstoppable force of destruction, and now that force had doubled. I walked down the aisles, and each one was empty. Back again across this door... Where had he gone? I turned a corner in the frozen foods aisle, and he was just a few feet in front of me. Back turned, his shoulders bouncing like he was laughing, but the sound was more like a man drowning, thick, desperate gasps. He shouted no words, just sound, and then back to gasping. 
Avon's employee turned the corner on the other end of the aisle, saw the man, and immediately walked away. I retreated a few aisles down, trying to stay out of sight. Eventually, the other thistle man headed back to the exit, not a glance in my direction. Every few feet, his right leg would give, like it had no muscle nor bone in it, and his entire body would stoop to the side and then unsteadily lurch its way back up with the next step. There was no sign of employees or customers at checkout. Out in the parking lot, he got into a car, a silver Toyota, a few years old, relatively clean. He turned left out of the shopping center, and I followed. At first, we were surrounded by strip malls, but then the right-hand side of the road fell away to desert. Its darkness was complete. Off in the distance, some sort of factory, all glow and smoke. Sweating, breathing human beings on a night shift inside that factory, and on every side, darkness and sand. We hit a T-intersection and made a left, past the bus station. A bus was just pulling out on late-night departure to who knows where. On the other side of the road was the Route 66 Museum. A museum to road tripping, to distance, to how big and spread out America is. I have experienced how big and spread out it is. The width and the length of it. We are a country defined as much by distance as by culture. The desert edged onto the road. We were outside of town now. Stacks of boxcars, another factory. An outpost of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, that greedy giant. I passed under the wires, almost invisible against the sky. They carry the lights to Hollywood, the air conditioning to Malibu. Here is beyond the glamour. Here is only the machine. We turned again. Slag heaps and stars. Not poetry. A literal description of all I could see. A road just called Gas Line Road that intersected a block away with Power Line Road. Finally, a military airport of some kind. Barbed wires and hangars. We drove along the fences for a while. The road was completely empty, and so I had to drive without headlights. I watched his car and tried to mirror its movements. It was terrifying, but also felt peaceful and quiet, like swimming underwater. A small plane came in for landing, and I watched the entire thing happen. Red lights blinking their way down, and then finally touching earth. And I realized that I hadn't been breathing. And then I hit the curb and I screamed. In the wildlife-themed motel room, anxiously waiting for you to come back. Or just waiting, and also anxious. All of my fear returned. Oxygen stopped working for me again. And then you did come back. Supermarket was closed, you said. You looked all over, you said, but only the gas station was open, so you brought us a feast of gas station snacks. I hid my anxiety from you. 
I didn't want you to feel the pressure of knowing how much you being gone had destabilized me. I think you noticed, though. We sat on the balcony. The sunset over the parking lot and the self-storage center next door. It was beautiful. We ate our gas station feast. That's one of my favorite memories of you, actually. Us with almost nothing. And still, we had everything. But you were gone a long time. Way longer than fits what you told me. I guess we both knew that. I guess we both smiled and worked around what both of us knew. He drove through a hole in the fence into the airport. The hole looked accidental, but was exactly wide enough for a car. I counted a slow ten, and then I followed. If he noticed me, he noticed me. I am always afraid, but I do what needs to be done. By the time I drove through, there was no sign of him. A shape bloomed at me from the dark was huge with a snub-nosed face and broad wings. A passenger jet, a big one for international flights. Any company names it once had had been painted over. Silent, earthbound, a dead giant. As my eyes adjusted, I saw more of them. Line after line of dead jetliners. I drove the car slowly through them. I couldn't see his car. At this point, with my engine coughing loudly through this airplane graveyard, I could well have been the one being stalked. It would have been so easy to circle around behind me. I passed an enormous wing, and its elongated shadow from the distant fence lights lingered after me. I had lost him. There was nothing. I inched through the lines of airplanes that had avoided disaster again and again, only to end up here, on the ground forever. And then, lights up ahead. So close that I had to slam on my brakes. I turned off the engine, left the beater behind, and I ran across the hard-packed dirt. His car was pulling through a gate in a high wall. It shut behind him, and the wall became almost invisible again against the desert hills. The wall was featureless, except a small sign by the gate. The sign said thistle. Tasting sour acid in my mouth, I circled around and found a point where the hillside rose above the wall. It was thick with thorny brush, but I picked my way through until... Panting and bleeding, I'd reached a point where I could see over into the compound. Inside that wall was a little town. The other town. Houses, a market, a gas station. Even at this hour, the town's population was out in force. And Alice God. Alice God. Every one of them was like the Thistle Man. All of them, loose-skinned, odd movements. 
None of them spoke, although sometimes one would laugh, long and loud, and then return to monastic silence. And I saw him. The original him, the thistle man, the hungry man. He was leaning on one of the pumps at the gas station, reading a newspaper. It was an entire city of them. These creatures, so dangerous, so evil, that a single one of them almost destroyed me. Are they each of them serial killers, uncaught, living together, buried in this airplane boneyard? On an airbase, hidden on a U.S. military airbase. <sighs> this is beyond me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I failed you, Alice. I'm sorry even more that I failed Sylvia. But I'm going to take the advice you tried to give me in Georgia, on that billboard. The advice you must have given me knowing what I have just learned. I'm giving up, Alice. I'm going home. Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Ugh. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. 
And now, the answer to our riddle, why did the chicken cross the road? Because she took each day as it came, taken with many things, but never taking any of them. She never took any risks. Instead, she took care. She never took any opportunities. She took the safe way instead, because she didn't take it, you know, grasp it, pull it toward her. Instead, she just took it, you know, let it happen, let it slip by, until she stopped taking it, wouldn't take it for another second. Instead, she took it, you know, the next step, the necessary arrangements, her life in her hands. She took her life in her hands. She took it. She was taking, not taken. And she saw a road to cross, and she was taken by it, and she took it. She took it. That is why the chicken crossed the road. This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. From the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and within the wires comes a new Audible original, Unlicensed. In the outskirts of Los Angeles, where the cul-de-sacs and strip malls sprawl into the desert, two unlicensed private investigators scrape by on whatever small cases come their way. But when a teenage girl pleads for them to take the strangest case of their career, this unlikely pair, with no resources and no backup, will follow a trail of seemingly unconnected cases, which will lead them to a ransom a murder, a mysterious wellness center, and a conspiracy that might go all the way to the governor. It's important to catch small fires early. They don't stay small for long. Unlicensed. Available now at audible.com slash unlicensed.